peaceful protests. We've all been raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Welcome to the program. It's Jason and Kirk. Good to be with you. Happy New Year. We hope that it is a new year, but some things have not changed. And we should note that, uh, I'm gonna pull back the curtain for him a little bit, Kirk. When we originally recorded the program, shut everything down, thought we were wrapped up for this edition, is when all hell broke loose in D.C. Yeah. Uh, on Wednesday. <laughs> so many directions to go and we have a full show today uh, right. we should note that uh wale Angulier will join us a little bit to tell us about a great program that he is uh spearheading in the financial realm for entertainers and athletes as well as lachina robinson a colleague of ours here at sirius xm who has a fantastic podcast connected with sports and entertainers but wednesday night i was covering the heat celtics game and that game almost did not happen correct um and that game almost didn't happen because of two dynamics, when you think about the decision that occurred in Kenosha, basically freeing law enforcement from their involvement in yet another killing of a black man and knowing that all protests are not the same. And let's be clear, what happened at the U.S. Capitol was a riot. Yes, there, there are peaceful protests that have permits and documentation. Uh, that was not one of them. And, and by the way, it was fueled and fanned at the highest government position with this current sitting president of the United States. It's probably, it's, it's challenging for me to even put into words what we witnessed and what we're dealing with, but let's try. Kirk, it was despicable. It was yeah. the very worst of what you would imagine would occur in the world's probably greatest symbol of self-governance. Yeah, it's it's not only what we listened to, we watched, we um, we saw, but I think to kind of sum it up, Wednesday, January 6, 2021, um, if you didn't know, you you knew now, basically understanding that there is two Americas that we live in. And if you didn't believe it, you saw it on full display. It, it wasn't protests. <laughs> on Wednesday, January 6th. That wasn't a protest. That was a riot. That was a takeover. That was people feeling privileged that I can do this because this is my country and I can go into a, a, a Capitol building and, and stop what's going on because I want my voice to be heard, which is what we all want. But when you think about the sports aspect of it, you mentioned basketball last night and a lot of the players went back to kneeling last night to understand that we can't be on the front lines with a lot of these people to help the situation or to show a unity, but we want to show that we're all together. We understand what's going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We understand all of these things, but we're also uniting as people to understand that we have to stop this divide between these two Americas that was fueled last that or Wednesday night uh, by a president that was banned from Twitter and that was banned from Facebook because of his messages. Like just let that permeate for a minute, just seep in that 
a president because of his messages instead of unifying a country actually ignited what was going on in our country. We're, we're in this space where since the, the spring and summer, you're trying to inject this idea of a more equal and just America. Correct. And in many cases on Wednesday, when push came to shove, some people had to go down uh, right. because that was an illegal occurrence that went down. Uh, but the drastic difference between the way protesters uh, were treated uh, surrounded Black Lives Matter. Right. And the encouragement given to Wednesday's riots to show how much work there still is to be done. Yeah, I think you mentioned it. It's a, a lot of work still left to be done. And I think it was, especially for the African-American community, the frustration of that. I know that we of color can't do what we saw happen at the Capitol. That's just not, we saw it differently during the protests to where we saw on Wednesday, January 6th, there wasn't the same force that was right. used. Just the, just the mere anticipation yes. of us. Yeah. Garner's full military rollout. But I did read too that like a guy who you cover, you know, Bam Adebayo said it, said it perfectly. Jax, I have a game in Washington and yet I won't leave my hotel room because I'm scared of what happens. And to me, when we're supposed to have an inauguration coming up for a new president, I would advise people to stay away because I'm scared now because I don't know what people are thinking. It is tough times right now trying to figure out who is for equality and who wants to keep this division that we know is still a part of our country. And all of this overshadowing historical election dynamics in Georgia, which was our intent for this segment. Right. Um, and uh, that that state moving in a progressive direction, uh, electing the very first African-American for that state from the South to represent in the U.S. Senate uh, is something that needs to be remarked and remembered. And we will get to that, uh, I'm sure, in, in coming moments and, and coming days. Actually, matter of fact, because the China spent some time um, with the organization at the center of all this, I'm right. sure we'll bring it up with her as we discuss the huge uh, <laughs> fan podcast with China Robinson as forward progress continues. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Welcome back to the program, Forward Progress, Jackson and Morrison. Let me tell you about a program so big it needs three U's. Yes, the letter U. Huge fan. It's a podcast series where entertainers talk about their favorite team as they bring you deep into their fandom to discuss their childhood sports memories, game day rituals, and so much more. Listen to Huge Fan, now available as a podcast on the SiriusXM app, free to most subscribers. Download it today and tap podcast to listen to the best collection of podcasts in one place. By the way, I call an audible at the line because it says, see those podcasts. We hear those podcasts. The host of Huge Fan is with us. Am I saying it right, LaChina Robinson? You've got to lean into the huge. You are correct. Thank you so much for that introduction and for telling the folks about Huge Fan. Excited to be here. Honored to be with you guys today. Listen, before we get into uh, the show, we want to promote it. We want everybody downloading it and listening to it. But you have a unique perspective on what's happening in Georgia. And, and I want to dive into it if you're okay with it. Oh, yeah, of course. I was reading some tweets. There's, there's some tweets. I didn't go to bed, by the way. I stayed. <laughs> 
stayed up. I stayed up until my buddies over there at Decision Desk HQ. They're always early, right? But they're always right. Okay, that's the thing I love mm-hmm. about those. Yeah, uh, everyone those was hitting refresh all night on the all on the night long. Yeah. Listen, well, all the networks, I get it. I get where they're coming from, but they they want to wait until Karnacki tells them they they can go with it. But those folks at Decision Desk HQ, they look at it, they call it, they see it, and they did it. And as we tape this on Wednesday, uh, it does look like all things are leaning toward a 50-50 Senate with both of those runoffs in Georgia going the way of the Democrats. It was Michelle Norris who had a thread last night that was rolling that I thought would trigger you in one way or another as we all woke up on Wednesday morning. She wanted to make sure that we did not sleep on the role the WNBA played in the Georgia race. She noted that Warnock was polling below 10% when the Atlanta Dream started wearing his name in response to their teams. I refer to them as governors now, uh, co-governor, Kelly Loeffler, the now uh, soon to be, we'll leave all the things in place until they are cemented, a former senator from Georgia, uh, had her condemnation of the Black Lives Movement. It spread through the league. It was beyond the team. And it also upped the reverend's profile as he stands uh, to be sworn in as the first black senator from Georgia, first black senator from the South mm-hmm. uh, into the U.S. Senate. Your thoughts on those young women and their stance and, and how it ran through the WNBA? Yeah, it was kind of like a perfect storm of things, right? The WNBA has always been at the forefront of social justice going back many years. It's a league of 80% black women who uh, use their platform to be the voice for the voiceless. And this summer they decided to dedicate their season in Bradenton, Florida in a bubble to the Say Her Name campaign, which you know is a part of the African American Policy Forum and works to not just remember the female victims of police violence, but to raise awareness that black women are also victims. It started with a collective group of the mothers. Um, Kimberly Crenshaw is, is actually the head of the policy forum, but it started with a collective group of the mothers who are victims of police violence, Black women. And so it was perfect for the WNBA to dedicate their season to this. And then Senator Kelly Leffler, who is co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, spoke up and said that she was um, against the WNBA dedicating their season to the Say Her Name campaign, to Black Lives Matter. And as you can imagine, the players were outraged to learn that she would not be in support of this, that, um, you know, she she spoke a lot of untruths about their mission, uh, making it look like it was uh, not inclusive and, you know, just basically painting the WNBA players in a way that you would hope she knows the league is is never going to stand for. Um, It's a league of inclusion. It's about equality. It's about fighting for what's right, human rights, civil rights. So at that point, everything came to a head and the WNBA wanted to respond to Kelly Leffler and they did in a very powerful way by basically saying they wanted her out as an owner, but also in supporting Reverend Warnock. And it was not an overnight thing. They did not just say, hey, you know, Kelly, this is wrong that you're not going to support Black Lives Matter. You know, let's get her out of here. It was, okay, we understand that her views of what the WNBA stand for are not in line with who we are. Okay. We would like her gone as owner. It doesn't happen that easily. But how can we push forward the political 
agenda here for all people. And so they started to meet with different candidates. Stacey Abrams is a part of their uh, social justice council, one of their advisory committees for their players association. So they were having conversations with Stacey. They met with Reverend Warnock and decided to back him and ended up wearing his uh, vote Warnock shirt this summer. And as you can imagine, when you're in opposition to your own owner, that is, it's an incredible place to be, but it's also a courageous place to be for these women. And so they developed a very close relationship with Reverend Warnock and um, the rest is history. And I'll share with you really quickly a tweet that I shared this morning. Um, I got an email from Reverend Warnock's campaign on August 6th. Now, this was right after they had worn those T-shirts. And the email said, since the players of the WNBA wore their Vote Warnock shirts on Tuesday, the campaign raised over $185,000 online. They added over 3,500 new grassroots donors and grew his Twitter followers by 3,500. And that was just a couple days yeah. after they wore the shirt. So it went viral and the WNBA players no doubt had a direct impact on the on the outcome of the Senate race here in Georgia. You know, Latrina, you, you mentioned or you said the word courageous. And I think that's a, a good word to use when you talk about the WNBA, obviously your affiliation with the WNBA. But I think more importantly, thinking about last year, 2020 and the lead up to the election and then now the runoff in Georgia, would you have ever imagined that the WNBA would have this much power, would have this much influence? Because when you thought of the WNBA before, it was women playing basketball and you celebrated it and you watched it, you saw their skill set. But to now to see that that league and what they've been able to build actually turned into what I think is a springboard for a lot of what we saw the change, especially down there in Georgia. Yeah, uh, I could I could imagine it, but that's because I've been so closely related to this league and connected to this league in so many ways, not only as a, a little girl watching the WNBA in the days of Lisa Leslie when it first started, but I've been covering it for 12 years. So I've known the power of these women. Um, you know, they're well-traveled, they're educated, they're charismatic, they're moms, they're business owners, you know, they're advocates. And so it was more about the world finally realizing the power that these women have. And um, again, it's kind of like the perfect storm that Kelly Leffler was the owner of a WNBA team and, and, and her racist stance in a lot of ways was the the door that kind of opened for this opportunity for everyone else to turn their eyes towards the league. And not only that, but athlete activism. I mean, we've seen in 2020 what athletes can do when they decide to use their platform um, to impact change. And in this important political year, whether it's LeBron and More the Vote or many of the organizations and athletes that, you know, Naomi Osaka and the mask that she wore this summer when competing, like there have been so many touch points of in particular black men and women athletes who have have just found their power and their voice and they're having an impact. So it's, it's no surprise to me. Latrina Robinson, analyst for college basketball for the WNBA, the host of Huge Fan, all with us here on Forward Progress. So happy to have you with us. You have this unique perspective of being a broadcaster for the dream, of being in Georgia for this transition of demographic that has changed the way this area votes. What most strikes you about uh, what's happened over the last uh, decade to a dozen years? I would say just the boots on the ground, you know, the the, the local organizers, you know, the the people who are actually here in Atlanta. Like you think about um, obviously Stacey Abrams comes to mind first and foremost and what she's done over the years. I've known Stacey since 2007. She actually helped to bring the Atlanta dream to Atlanta, negotiated the, the team contract, recruited the team here, 
laid the infrastructure. So I can, I can be giving Stacey Abrams flowers all day. Um, but you know, it, it's people like her that have gone out and, and, and not been afraid to go into the black communities and say, listen, this election depends on you. And to change that mindset that often exists in our communities that our vote didn't matter, you know, and, and we've, through this process, we have found all these little white lies that we've been told along the way, you know, oh, you have a felony, you'll never be able to vote or, oh, you know, um, it doesn't matter if you vote or not, people in office are going to do what they want to do. But I think there's just been a more of an, uh, of an emphasis on education with the people in the local organizing committees. Um, again, the boots on the ground, just going door to door, doing whatever it takes to not only restore belief in, in the vote, but also um, giving b the black community some energy behind their power. And I, I think that's been really important. And, um, you know, the world is changing and why not Georgia as well? You know, when I first read about this, this huge fan podcast, right? And I'm, so I'm, I'm excited about it, truth, because I'm always, I'm a, I've been a huge fan uh, as a former professional athlete in the NFL. Just thinking about when I read this, I was like, man, I've kept thinking about my sports moments when I was a youth, not necessarily myself, but things that I remember and what it drew me to. And so hopefully I don't pain you by making you asking you the question. But it, I thought of one of the most painful memories for me as a youngster in terms of sports was in 1988. I'm sitting down with my father. We're watching the World Series and we're from Northern California. We're, you know, the Bay Area A's Giants fans and Kirk Gibson hit a home run for the Dodgers. And LaChina, I don't know about you, I, I wept because I had never seen that happen before. My team was not supposed to lose, but I felt that connection at an early age. And so for you and just your, your fandom and what all you've been able to do, what's that first memory of, of you being a huge sports fan to where you felt like a little bit of pain, but you like, you know, this is what sports is about and you wanted more of it? Boy, it would have to be, well, I guess if I, when I tell you who my favorite all-time NBA player is, you'll understand why I've wept on several occasions. I'm a huge <laughs> Patrick Ewing fan. Oh, man. I love uh -oh. Patrick Ewing for, for many, many, many years. And so we've had a lot of heartbreak um, over time. Uh, and I still love Patrick to this day. But, you know, it's interesting in doing this podcast and just even listening to you, Kirk, it's like... Um, how many times do we really just stop and think about those moments that drew us mm. into sport that made us love it, yeah. that made us hate it. The reason <laughs> why we turn on the television today. And the first thing we want to do is, is go to ESPN yeah. and see, you know, what's happening in the sports world. Um, and so to have these celebrities who have a million things going on in their lives and they've got millions of followers, they've got tons of things going on to have them come on this podcast and literally like, connect moments in their lives to their fandom. Like they go back to their childhood. They go to their grandparents, to their great grandparents, going to games, you know, um, the first time that they remember walking into the arena, um, you know, what did, what, where were they when a championship was, was won? It's like, it's crazy because yeah. they remember every little thing. Ashley Judd, Michael Buble, Nelly, like, 
they can take you back to the moments of their sports team and really what makes it special, but also how it changed their lives in, in some ways. And so it's um it's it was an amazing idea. Sirius XM did I it wasn't it was it was a, <laughs> the team at Sirius XM is brilliant and they were great right. to work with. It wasn't my idea, but it's something that is really brilliant in itself. I was going to ask you that very question. You could have totally taken all the credit. No one would have stopped you right I'm there. Not, I'm not the idea. You got to know your role. I'm not the idea, girl. I'm the host. <laughs> <laughs> I can execute it, but, you know. Yeah, Lachana Robinson is the host of a huge fan here with us on Forward Progress. Uh, let's, uh, you, you, let, you ticked off a little bit uh, of, of the list of individuals that you've had, not to make you rank them, okay? This is a separate question. Of the stories you've heard, Mm. what jumps to top of mind in that it, it kind of blew you away? Um, so there are two that really blew me away. Um, one is just Ashley Judd in herself. Like when I tell you she is the biggest Kentucky Wildcats fan. Big Blue Nation. <laughs> oh my gosh. She was um, actually under the weather the day that we we did our recording she it took her a few minutes but as she was setting it. I remember up, listening to that one yeah yeah we, she was setting up you know she was just you could hear a voice coughing just all these things and so she gets on and I just said hey thanks for doing this you know you sound like you're a little under the weather and she shared with us that she had bronchitis on on that day that we were taping and she said I'm not feeling well but I would never miss an opportunity to talk about my wildcats and that really set the tone for it like she was not going to miss that that interview and she knew stats 10 years 20 years back <laughs> Okay, the sixth, seventh, eighth man on the bench, she knows their shooting percentages. She knows the entire pregame rundown of what happens from the 30 minute mark before tip all the way to 10 minutes after a game when she go when she goes, you know, to an act to an actually wildcat when she goes to Lexington. And so the detail of how much she remembered was great. The other one would be Michael Buble because he actually tried his hand at, at hockey and was so brutally honest about how good he wasn't. Um, but he did get to go to a practice. And when he describes, he, he went one-on-one -on -one with the goalie and swore he was going to score a goal. You know, everyone thinks that they can score against the pros, right? Right. And, you know, he ends up hitting the crossbar. It's a great story, but he's like, I realized that he was slow and in fat and was never going to be a professional hockey player, but he now has a rink in his basement. Like he actually has an ice hockey rink in his basement for his kids. So it's just crazy. Some of the stories, I mean, I could go on and on, but it's just, it's one of it's, it's something you have to listen to and really listen to their passion to understand how deep it goes. You know, I think one of the things uh, just about uh, sports in general is that for people who don't necessarily, it's not their profession, they still have a passion about it because it's where they're from. It's what they were grew up to. And it's more of the hobby that they're able to still have that connection with those sports. So kind of with, with that being said, like as you move forward, is there, like, I guess, people who tend to have way more fandom than you would expect? Like, is this kind of like their outlet when they have so much other stuff going on? Oh, for sure. It's their outlet, but it's also ingrained in them, again, because it goes back to their childhood. Um, it's their escape. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when you yeah. think about, again, those busy schedules and all that they have going on. But then there's, as you start to listen, there's also something that resonates with these celebrities about the journeys of their teams um, mirroring their own lives. And, you know, whether it, I was an underdog or, you know, like, you know, when you finally have that championship moment in my career, it was this. Um, and so there are there is a lot of alignment with with the journeys of these musicians and these commu- com- comedians and these actors actresses and actors um, with what happens in athletics. And we know that in our own lives, right? Whether you're in the boardroom, no matter where you are, um, you can always take a lesson in sport and and apply it to life. And it seems like many of them have done that along the way. They're trying to give us a taste of what's coming. (laughs) Number one, who's coming up soon? And two, who do you have to have soon? Are you somebody going to get a phone call? Yes, yes. So um, Nelly just dropped this week, so definitely have to have to check that out. I was able to um, interview Mel C from the Spice Girls, so that was awesome as well. Um, I don't know when that's dropping, but that'll be coming out soon. And then the person that I really, really want to have on the show is Snoop Dogg. Like, if I could get Snoop on to talk about the Lakers, I would be the happiest girl on earth. Uh, so Snoop, if you're out there, wow, give us a call. <laughs> but you know, with Snoop, he Lakers, he Steelers, he, you know, he bounced around. Now, what about if you had Drake on though? Like, cause Drake is always the, the huge sports fan, but he's also the Drake curse. So if you have Drake, does he truly have a team outside of Toronto? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Well, he does. The Kentucky Wild. Well, yeah, he's well, got a lot of he's got a lot of teams. That's the thing. I know. And I think I may have asked Ashley Judd about that, too, because she she met Drake. And, um, and that was interesting because I was like, listen, he'll never touch your fandom. But yeah, he'd be another good one. Very interesting one to have. But it seems like, you know, after the, the curse, most people are trying to get away from Blake Drake as their fl- their their biggest fan. They're like, uh, you know, let's move on. I guess with Toronto Raptors winning though he's he's safe he's safe uh, my, my last question for you Latina is that outside of basketball whether it's WNBA NBA if you could watch one sporting event what would it be Ooh, outside of basketball I love tennis um, I'm a big Serena fan Serena Venus you know growing up yeah. Look, looking up to them, um, my mother, you know, is a huge Serena fan. Okay. Um, so that would probably be my go-to. I used to watch Monica Seles growing up. She was my favorite. Yeah. I mean, I've been a deep, deep tennis fan for a long time. Um, but my mother also loves um, Formula One. She's a Lewis fan. Oh, wow. I'm telling you, okay. Lewis can do no wrong in her eyes. So that's something <laughs> I, I haven't jumped on See? that Formula One band. But my mother is obsessed with Lewis Hamilton. So, so when does mom drop on the pod then? We, we, we didn't get mom on a huge sports fan. Hey, let me okay. tell you, if you follow me on Twitter, you know my mother is lively. So gotcha. you better be on your toes <laughs> dealing with moms because she's on top of all things and she's very entertaining. So I'll have to bring her with me next time. No doubt. Listen, if she's staying up late to watch that Formula One, that's that's my kind of lady. All right. And give her the ESPN login, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. I thought I I was the only one, LaChina. People calling you (laughs) 10 o'clock at night. Um, 
Okay. Log in. Oh, here we go. Only moms. Look, only moms. moms. <laughs> or college kids who know their dad has a ESPN. Oh, that too. That's true. Yeah, yeah, I that, got that. that that's true. That's we'll try to thank you so much for the time. Come true. back anytime. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Kirk. Appreciate you guys having me. You Take got care. it. Once again, the podcast is huge fan. Uh, a podcast series where entertainers talk about their favorite teams as they bring you deep into their fandom and LaChina Robinson. He's the host. So great to have her with us. We got a great guest coming up next. Wale Angulia is not just here with a fantastic message. He's here with a fantastic program. If you have some change in your pocket, don't change the channel. We're coming back on Forward Progress. It's Jackson and Morrison. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Forward Progress marching on. Morrison and Jackson, great to have with us now. Former NFL Pro Lord. Wale Angunle, he's got this awesome initiative, a partnership with UBS, a new financial thinking combined with social impact. And it's an important dynamic. Uh, Wale, again, thanks for being with us, uh, because there is this perception, particularly about uh, black men and overall probably African-American athletes and entertainers overall, and the way that the money comes and goes. How did you come into this association? What's the initiative really trying to pinpoint impact? Well, really what I wanted to do, I, you know, I think the, and, and it's a great opportunity that I'm working over at UBS, um, you know, running their head, the, the sports and entertainment division. But the, the thinking and my, my thought process in getting to UBS was, We've tried to approach the athletes. We see the headlines. We, you know, we have the scare tactics. The scare tactics of, you know, seeing someone go broke, seeing someone lose three hundred million dollars, um, and think that's going to work. I think the problem a lot has to do on the institutional side. I, I do. I think on our side of the ball. Um, pun intended. Um, the institutions are are missing that. Uh, connectivity of understanding of who really the athletes and these entertainers are. And when I say that, I mean understanding a guy like me, born in New York City, but two parents who were immigrants who thought education and who still think education is the key to, you know, the American dream. Went to Indiana University, played at the Dolphins for four years, then went to Chicago and my last year at Houston, knowing all those different communities, whether it be Nigeria, New York City, Chicago, uh, Indiana, uh, Houston, all those communities and black and brown communities are actually looking at me and my peers to be successful, to make it, to make sure we don't come back to the hood that we grew up from. And I think that's where these firms, and that's what my job is to get us thinking on that level. We say that financial uh, education is key, but really it's who's actually doing the talking. And when it comes to finances, there's a lot of jargon in place, but really that's because people are not speaking to the individual, they're speaking above them, they're speaking underneath them. But when you start to understand who we really are um, and where we really come from, you're now able to have these discussions around finances that we can relate to and that we can understand. You know, Wale, when did that financial literacy first hit you? Was it something that when you first got into the NFL and you, you know, come across a lot of this money? And I think a lot of young players and say, wow, what do I do with it? Right. When did that financial literacy part really start to hit you? And until where you start to do further research to figure out what, what do I do next? Oh, man. 
Kurt, great question. And I, and I know you're going to relate to this, you know, being, you know, who you are, um, watch your career, man. I'm a big fan of you. So uh, just know that me personally, I was a four year graduate at Indiana University, right. uh, played in the NFL for 11 years, made a ton of money still in that avenue. And that financial advisor would come up to me and say, hey, we're going to charge you such and such basis points. And I would just shake my head and go, okay, cool. Not knowing what the hell basis point even meant. Right. Not even knowing what my financial advisor was going to charge me for his services. I would just shake my head because I'm an alpha male, right? I'm captain of the team. I should know all right. this stuff. I graduated from Indiana University. I brag about how smart and intelligent I was. But when it came to finances, I didn't understand. And at that moment, towards the end of my career with millions in the bank, and I've already, I've already risked millions of dollars, um, I realized that I need to go back to school and get my MBA just so I can understand the terminology around money, understand mm -hmm. the right questions I should ask. So no, it wasn't when I got to the league. It wasn't even when I signed my big contracts. It actually as towards the end of my career when I realized like, I know nothing about money. Wally Angunle with us here on Forward Progress. As you're sitting, uh, making this decision, going through the coursework, George Washington getting the Masters in Business Administration. Was there a point where you were one of two things? So fired up that you took this time, took this initiative and got it done? Or was there the reality of, holy bleep, this is real hard work. And what did I get myself into? Wow. Good question. I think both. Um, I definitely felt that, you know, you know, I wanted to understand exactly what I was getting into. And once I figured it out, I understood why it's so complicated. It's, it's because... You know, some people are raised in understanding money more than just a simple piggy bank in their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, they have their dads and their moms and they sit down, they can break down a checkbook, understand why having good credit is, is great. Understanding why paying the water bill on time um, is, is big uh, for your future goals or maybe one day to get a house. So realizing the daunting task of what finances during these course, coursework, I realized that I was around the wrong individuals. I should have always been with a big institution that does checks and balances. Mm. Sometimes in our circles of people that we have, because money is so uh, complicated subject and such like talking a foreign language, we tend to gravitate towards the homeboy who may look like he understands finances or the runner that we see at the club at down in Miami club later every now and then he drives a nice car. And um, those <laughs> yeah. kind of things are what we're attracted to, but those are the kind of people we should be running away from. Right. And we should be at big institutions with big people who have checks and balances that will make sure that Wale Ogunle's money is going to be taken care of. And if it's not, I have ways to sue or go to the higher ups to make sure that, you know, I have some check and balances with, with my finances. You know, how much, Wally, do you now bring this back to your community, to your family, to the people who aren't professional athletes, who don't necessarily understand or have that big time wealth that a lot of you know, players currently have or former players? How do you bring this back to the, to the community and to your own family? Great, great question. Again, I think number one is this. So we talked about the problem that I had. I was a pro NFL player, million dollars in the bank. I was thrusted with a lot of money early on in my career, in my 20s, early 30s. Somewhere before that, I had to start a basis. So my goal here at UBS 
is let's start at the collegiate level. Yeah. 99% of those students and those student athletes will not make it professional. Correct. So what I've been able to do here at the firm is say, listen, I understand it's about the bottom line. I know we want to make as much money as we can at the firm, but if we truly want to make a difference, let's go places where we're not going to get a return on our investment. But what we will do is, what we will do is get a return on our investment in putting time into people, understanding so they can understand their finances early on. So whether I was a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or a teacher graduating out of Indiana University, I would not have an understanding of money. Correct. So this is a community problem, not just an athlete entertainer problem, but because athletes and entertainers get the headlines and we get thrusted into the spotlight, when we mess up financially, it's a bigger story than if your local school teacher does. But the local school teacher does need as much financial education as we do. It's just that we're getting this money so fast and so quick that the, the rise, the ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows are so vast that um, it's, it looks like a, a traffic accident and everybody wants to watch. I'll let you do a commercial here. What, what was it about that message that resonated internally with UBS? I mean, there's some organizations that'll sit and hear that particular pitch and then show you exactly where the front door is. Oh, <laughs> and so oh. this has got to be a unique dynamic. So here it is. So, you know, when you look at me, you understand I'm an African-American. Absolutely. Right. So, and I'm sitting across our senior management and let's be honest, they're the opposite of what I am, right? They're middle-aged, you know, white guys. And for them to actually truly understand, and this has been going on through a bunch of, you know, uh, firms, not just, you know, UBS, but financially, there's a lack of diversity. And too many times people think diversity is maybe the same guys with different ideas. That's not diversity in my view. Diversity is different people with different ideas. And that's true diversity. And the financial world is lacking in that. So I give UBS credit in saying, you're right, we understand, we're behind, the financial industry is behind. Well, let's put you, uh, being who you are, former player, being an African-American player, and, and put you into management, not an advisor, not going out recruiting players, not trying to get them in, but actually trying to change the dynamic structure within the firm. And the fact that UBS treated me as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, didn't see me as a, as a client, um, as a fan, um, really resonated well with me. And, I, and that's why I felt like maybe this could be a good fit if I, you know, come out of retirement kind of per se to, to take this initiative off because they, they looked at me as a businessman. <laughs> you know, I've heard you speak about this before, but I want our listeners to hear it. The similarities of the uniform that you once put on, whether it was the Dolphins, Bears, Texans, in the uniform that you put on now, like what are the similarities in things that you carry over from being once a professional athlete to where now you have to bring that same intensity in what you're doing as far as your endeavors? Oh, man, I think, think here's the similarities. One, as you guys know, teamwork really is the ultimate goal, right? You can't have people doing their own thing and thinking this is going to be a successful run. You may have a couple good years with one guy thinking he's going to run the whole show, but at the end of the day, you need a team. Um, and that's one thing I'm le learning from the, the corporate structure that it's kind of similar to what we had in the locker room, what we had, you know, playing professional sports, but more importantly, it's about going through the rules, doing things the right way, waking up 
and busting your tail every single day to make sure that you make your client's life better, your teammates' life better, your colleagues' lives better. And that, to me, is the ultimate goal. I was always that kind of person where I wanted to not just lead by, by speaking and screaming, but I wanted to lead by example. And in the financial world, there's too many financial advisors that actually want to be in front of their clients, who want to be seen, who want to be on the, you know, have the Maseratis and the nice cars. Right. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have that. But ultimately, if you're not truly trying to pour into people, like, why are you doing this? And why are you in our communities with our young men and women when our young men and women need us to be stewards of their talents and of their good money and of their hard-earned money? Wally Ungunli, a 11-year NFL pro, former pro bowler with us here on Forward Progress. Let's get back to something I think is really important. You talked about having the institutional structure. Mm-hmm. There is that struggle. You touched on it, trying to bring someone else with you. May not be their expertise, but you're trying to help people come along, uh, elevate them while you're elevated. There's a distrust oftentimes African-Americans have with massive institutions, particularly financially. We don't feel welcomed all the time in those spaces. How difficult has it been building that bridge of different thinking? You know, it's great talking to, 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 to men like you because you guys understand, right? You guys basically ask me questions that you already know the answers to, which is fun. But I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and answer the question because you already know. It's extremely difficult. We are a very uh, distrusting community, and rightfully so. No matter where you turn, there's things and obstacles that have been placed in our way that makes things harder for us. And we do not understand and we do not know who to trust. So when someone like myself does enter the room, I'm still looked at sideways because there's somebody who before me messed it up. And that's why it's really imperative on us as African-American men and and community that when we do get opportunities, um, let's be honest about it, we have to do the right things at all the time because there's somebody coming behind us that will be measured on the way we operated in those circumstances. I know it's not fair. I know people talk about it all the time and they want to say that this is, you know, justice is blind. But the truth of the matter is some things, and especially in our country, um, weigh heavily on the scales of justice. And it's up to us, the people like me and you to, to make sure that when we do have this opportunity, we do it the right way. And we do what we say and we say what we mean because someone's coming up behind us. So maybe right now people are still going to have a hard time trusting, trusting us and trusting me. But what I will say is I'm going to continue to work hard and I will always do the right thing. And I think that at the end of the day will prevail over some of the mistrust that has been rightfully gained from our communities. They, they, are, they have the, every right to mistrust every single person that comes in their path. Uh, I just want to make sure that when I do get across or come across some of our young men and women in this space, that I'll give them the sound advice they need to be successful, whether it's at UBS or whether it's just at life. Well, I, I mean, we're currently, as we're sitting here, we're talking and we're taping, we like think about the landscape of just our country and what's going on, whether us living through the pandemic right now, currently, whether it's the passing of a hopefully a stimulus package for a lot of Americans or just the social injustice, uh, just the different protests and things that we had of 2020. Mm -hmm. What's been that big challenge for you right now currently 
And with all that is going on, what is that big challenge, especially for people living through the pandemic who are now starting to look more at the future rather than the present? I think the biggest pandemic for me is, is, and which is always the case, is to stay present, right? I live in a beautiful home, in a beautiful community in Miami. I can easily detach myself from all of the, the things that are going on in, in the world, right? I can say that, um, you know, I'm a part of a, a percentage of Americans that is living comfortably and, and I could care less who's in the office, right? Who's the president here? I'm still going to be good, right? And the truth of the matter, that's probably true. The problem now is I have brothers, I have friends, I have family members that live in these other communities that are seriously affected. And I just can't stand by and overlook all those things. So everything that I do, I do looking at it as, what if I wasn't a professional athlete? What if I was my brother who's in Staten Island, New York right now, or my sister who's in Atlanta, Georgia? What if I was their families? What if we didn't have sports? What if I didn't have all this money? How would I want to be treated and how would I want to treat people? And so that's how I stay connected. That's one of my biggest issues is, you know, seeing sometimes seeing some of our peers or some of people we look at as role models, take a step back and say, that's not my problem. And, and, and not, you know, be, you know, discouraged. I stay in the moment. I stay with my family. I stay with my friends. I stay with my community. And I hope ultimately over time that will keep me grounded in knowing that if I see George Floyd's situation on, on TV in Minnesota, knowing that that could be me, but maybe not. Maybe I might have the police chief's number in my back pocket, but that could be my brother or it could be my best friend in New York City. Still, at the end of the day, it could come closer to home than I would like. So when I see issues that are socially that, that are socially charged, um, I want to be involved and I want to stay my, keep my feet on the ground. You know, last one for me, Wale, are you, um, I guess, do you still follow the NFL? Do you still take a look at your teams? Obviously, Miami's doing well this year, Chicago as well. Do you detach yourself a little bit from the NFL or is it still right there for you? First, it was hard when I first got done playing. I couldn't right. watch because it was, I was mm. almost like I still was in the X's and old phase of our life. Like I was <laughs> looking at these blitzes like, well, he did the wrong step <laughs> here. So it took me some time. So I, I took so I, I took solace in basketball for a long period. Like basketball became, you know, the heat games and, yeah. and watching that. That was like my my out. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the last couple of years, I've, I've kind of slowly gotten back through college football and now I'm watching, you know, uh, professional football. I do watch the Bears, obviously, and, and the Dolphins, but I'm more I'm just more a fans of individuals now, not just yeah. teams. I just want to just see some people do great. Like even this year, I was just rooting so hard for, for Cam Newton to play much better than he did this year, just because all of the stuff that he's been through. Um right. You know, we'll talk about that another time. But yeah. other than that, um, I, I am getting back into it. I'm happy. I'm, I'm seeing my, my kids now that I'm watching football. They're naturally, like, loving it, too. So I'm actually doing it for this, not only just me, but for my kids, too. Well, I thank you so much for your time, uh, your leadership in this space. A, a worthy fight to get folks on the right track financially. And uh, we look forward, when safe enough, to see you down at the Heat's house. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. And Happy New Year to everybody and your families. Thanks so much again to Wale and LaChina earlier for joining us on the program. Kirk, always good to be back with you. Look forward to it next time, my man. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. We may even get into some basketball talk at some point, man. Because I feel on. like I know you need to vent from time to time, man. I know the, the stresses <laughs> of basketball. I can throw in some football talk too, as well. Just a little, we could just do a little bit, only because now we're we're in twenty twenty one. And so now we're kind of, you know, the name of the show, Forward Progress. Where is the progress taking us to? Be, uh, be fun to, to see where our, our actual sporting uh, events and places have taken us now. All I know is this time next week, the Browns better have won. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. All I know is I waited 18 years, mm. okay, to get back into this mix. And <laughs> you shake your head all you want. I I'm, need, hey, man, I'm, I, I'm proud. I'm play proud a of y'all. perfect day. I, <laughs> I know. A I'm perfect proud day. of y'all. Yeah, uh, listen, it's good to be back. But we wanna, now I want to be greedy and take a step forward. So. <laughs> you can't be greedy, man. <laughs> Y'all better beat that, that Steel City. Ain't, ain't, ain't no joke. So look, it's no, like you, know you, 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 you finally accomplish something and you look up like, not these dudes. <laughs> yeah, again. 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 Yeah. My man, we'll talk about it next time. Thanks so much for being with us. Our thanks as always to our producer, Pernell Brown. We'll talk to you next time.